Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. So we're starting a series on relationships. How many are in a relationship of any kind? I'm not talking romantic. I mean, you know another human being that you've talked to before. Yeah, that's all of us, right? Um, So that's what our series is on for the next month, is on relationships. Um, I will say today we're going to kind of hit relationships generically, but then we're going to move on from that uh, to talk about the different kinds of relationships that we're in. John 15 is what we're reading out of. Now, this is a passage we looked at last week. Um, and we talked about this last week because it starts with, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And like I said last week, sometimes this is one of those passages that we think is all like cutesy that to, to put on a... Um, uh, it's a picture maybe on our bathroom wall. I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. You know, with a bunch of grapes or something on there. And it looks real pretty. This is Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And this is what he said. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Let's get, skip down to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By my Father, by this, excuse me, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Say disciples. Say disciples. I thought we were talking about relationships. We are. But can I tell you this? You're going to have better relationships if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is not a cutesy passage. If you read through it, Jesus is saying you have to abide in me. You have, and that just means remain, dwell, live. You have to be close to Jesus. If you're close to Jesus, you'll be more like him. And I'm just going to go ahead and this, this really should be the ending of my sermon, but it's the beginning. I mean, I guess I could stop now. Um, but this is, this is really the crux of the whole issue right here. If you're more like Jesus, your relationships are going to go a lot easier. I'm just going to tell you this from the word go. This is not a sermon series on how to get everyone else to get along with you. I'm, I'm just going to put this out there. The common denominator in all of your relationships is you. You're everywhere you go. So in every relationship, there's you. And my wife and I went to a marriage conference oh, years back. And they said they talked about this in relationships. And this is not just marriage relationships. It's with a lot of relationships, but especially marriage relationships. And we'll get more into that. Is when we go to a relationship, we expect like, okay, a relationship takes two people, right? Even if it's a friend, it takes the both of you to have the relationship. And so as friends, you say, okay, I'll give my 50%. You give your 50%, and together, we have 100%. Math makes sense, right? The problem is, as human beings, we're selfish on our own. I really like myself. 
Okay, I, I'm not kidding. I really do like myself. Most days. There's a few days where I don't. But most days I really like myself. And my, the deal with me is, is if you don't give your 50%, that offends me sometimes. Depending on how Christian I am that day. I, well, they didn't give their 50%. Uh, so guess what? I'm not going to give my 50% either. Uh, yesterday, the cross-country season started. My, my team did not go to the first meet of the year. It was over at Shiloh Christian. I don't like that meet. I'll just put it out there. It's too hot. It's too early. I don't, I'm not such a fan of the course. You know, it is what it is. But we go every year. We're faithful because I believe in being faithful. But the only reason I go is because they always come to our meet. And then last year, I told the coach that. I was like, the only reason we come to this is because you guys always come to ours and I want to be a good neighbor, you know. And Well, last year he came up to me and said, uh, hey, coach, I need to tell you something. I was like, what's that? He goes, uh, I'm not coming to your meet this year. All right. You know what it means? He goes like, yep, I know. You're not going to come to ours. And so for the first time in like 10 years, I get a three-day weekend. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It was so nice not have to wake up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. to load a bus with a bunch of teenage kids and go sweat in the hot sun. But that's the way we do our relationships. Like, you give your part, and then I'll give my part. And a lot of times, the way we choose relationships is based on happiness. We think in relationships, we say things like, it's, it's my job to make you happy, and it's your job to make me happy. And if we make each other happy, then we're going to have a good relationship. And that's not a biblical understanding of relationship. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And this is the easy stuff today, guys. This is the easy stuff. I'm just going to say, just wait until we get to husbands love your wives. Then it gets really hard. Not because wives are hard to love. That's not what I meant. It's because the Bible has some very, very high standards for men when it comes to loving your wife. That's why. So this is actually a, pa a passage I quoted to my wife the day I got engaged with her. And uh, all my wife's family was there that day. So I got before I got down on one knee, this is what I said to her. I quoted 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to go to verse 4. It says this, Love is patient and kind. does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. And so far, I think all of us are like, okay, yeah. And just so you know, we're not talking about romantic love here. Okay? There's a word in the Bible for romantic love. This isn't it. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And I think so far, we're still doing pretty good. And then it gets hard. Verse 7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And it says this, love never ends or love never fails, depending on the translation that you have. It's not someone else's job to make you happy. This is not a sermon series 
for the person sitting next to you. This is a sermon series for you. And when we read that passage, I know some of us are like, oh man, I hope the person sitting next to me is listening. Um, I, I mean, I do too, you know, but you need to listen. You need to let your heart be challenged by some of this. Everyone get an image of a powerful person in your head. When I say the word powerful, you think of somebody. In our culture, I know, when we say someone is powerful, we tend to think that they carry a lot of authority. We also tend to describe them as being sometimes loud or very outgoing. They're very powerful. They take control. But I would submit to you, that is not what a powerful person is. What is a powerful person? It's in the Bible. 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy because that's good. As Paul, he's writing a letter to Timothy. Timothy is someone that is kind of under him in ministry. 2 Timothy 1, 6. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. That's something we talked about a few weeks ago, that, that God has a specific purpose and plan for your life. And many of you, we talked about this, have had people actually lay their hands on you and pray for you and, and declare over to you, hey, I think this is what God wants for your life. Um, but we know from Scripture that before the world was made, God knew what He wanted you to do. And here, Paul's telling Timothy, fan that gift into a flame. And then it says this in verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control or a sound mind. And I'm going to say all these three things are interconnected. And that's why I just read 1 Corinthians 13. Because if you're a person of power, you're going to reflect the attributes that we just read over in 1 Corinthians 13. Now think about that. Go back and think. Well, let's just go back and look. We have our Bibles here. 1 Corinthians 13. A person who displays the Spirit of God will be patient and kind. So we're saying a person who's powerful is a person who displays patience and kindness, who doesn't envy or boast. Uh Uh-oh. I think we would say the powerful people we know are full of boasting. But I'm going to submit to you today a truly powerful person as someone who does not envy or boast. Next one, who is not arrogant. Once again, I think that's a stark contradiction to what when we think of the word powerful, we think of someone who might be arrogant or rude or insist on their own way and is sometimes irritable. I think a lot of the things that are in this list, we're like, that's not a powerful person. But according to Scripture, if you truly have the Spirit of God and have His power, you'll exhibit these kinds of things. And so my question is, do we want to be powerful people? Not powerful in the sense that the world offers, but power in the sense that God offers. Because too many times we approach relationships from the standpoint of fear. What do I mean by that? Too many times we approach a relationship, whether it be our brother, our sister, our mom, our dad, our spouse, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, whatever it is, our best friend, with, the, with this fear. And what's the fear? Most of it is, are they going to make me happy? Are they going to do something to upset me? Are they going to keep their end of the relationship? And when we have that fear, 
then turmoil starts to brew. And guys, that's not the Spirit of God. What is the Spirit of God? It's power and love and a sound mind. It's that, that peace, really, if you want to translate it better. It's that peace. It's power, it's love, it's peace. And that's what we all really want in our relationships, right? Is peace, no matter what it is. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I, I've, I've said it three times now, but, but everyone look at me again. You can't control the other person in your relationship. After church, go into the restroom, we have this big shiny surface on the wall. That's the only person in the relationship you can control. And it's you. And we operate out of fear. And some of us, the way we choose relationships is based on whether someone else makes us happy. It's kind of like, like you remember being in high school and you go into the, the cafeteria and anxiety sets in because you don't know where you're going to sit. There's all these people, especially if you're new there. Like, oh my goodness, where's my group? And you feel good when somebody finally says, hey, come sit over with us. You feel good, why? Because you were chosen. We love being chosen. If Jesus is the example of what real friendship and real relationship is, then we need to emulate him. And he chose us when we were completely unchoosable. You were completely terrible. And God was like, I choose them. We were completely jacked up. And God chose us. Some of you, you still feel like you're completely jacked up. And God's still choosing you. And He is what we should emulate in relationships. And the, you're, the people that you're trying to have relationships are the same people Jesus is trying to have relationships with. So guess what? They're jacked up, and they're going to mess up, and they like to be chosen. But why do we choose people? If you're choosing someone because they make you happy, you're choosing for the wrong reason. Because what happens the day that you wake up and they don't make you happy anymore? You have that friend and they're like, eh, you just don't make me happy anymore. My wife, she gave me a gift. It's a great gift. It's a giant picture board that hangs over our bed. And it says this in like 20 different ways. I choose you. And I'll keep choosing you. It's almost to the point where hearing I choose you feels just as good, if not better, as I love you. Because I love you is the same thing, as I choose you. I choose you. And guys, that's what we need as friendships. And that's something that I've realized as a pastor here, is that there's some people that need to feel chosen. When should you be happy? Alright, here's when you should be happy. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. All right, here's when you need to be joyful. Right here, James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when? When you meet trials of various kinds. You know the testing of your faith, what's going on here, produces patience. And let patience have its full effect that you may be perfectly complete, lacking nothing. This is not an exciting scripture. I'm going to be honest. This is not exciting scripture. You are supposed to get excited when life gets hard. 
You're supposed to choose joy when things get difficult. One of my favorite songs right now is, is it Joy? Just, Justin Felice? For King and Country. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just listen to it all the time. Alexa, play that Joy song. All right. Here's that Joy song by King and Country. Um, whatever it is. And it's just about choosing joy. Listen. It's not other people's job to make you happy. If you wake up in the morning saying, man, I hope today is going to be a good day. If you're the kind of person that wakes up and says, I hope people are nice to me today. Man, I hope my coworkers get along better. I hope my, my friends respect me today. Then let me tell you, you're probably one of the biggest issues in your relationship. If you walk into every situation like, man, I hope these guys aren't going to be mean to me. I hope they're not going to disrespect me. I hope, I hope, I hope. Powerful people do not walk into, re into relationships hoping everyone else is going to be nice to them. I hope everyone gives me their 50% today. That's not what powerful people do. Powerful people wake up and say, I'm going to affect the world around me today. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to bear all things. I'm going to endure all things. I'm not going to fail other people today. Because I'm, I'm the only part of the relationship equation that I can control. And so when I walk into work and I have a relationship with all my coworkers, it's not, I hope they're nice to me today. It's, okay, I'm taking control of this situation. And I'm going to love these people. What if they don't deserve it? Go look in the mirror. None of us deserve it. That's the whole point. Is that none of us deserve this. And so what some of us have come into the trap of doing is putting up shields around our heart because we've been hurt in the past. And, and listen to me. I'm, I, I'm not trying to make light of being hurt. Guys, I've, I've had my heart wrecked. I've seen people in this congregation and out in other places that have just completely been destroyed by other people. And it, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. It breaks Jesus' heart. And I'm not making light of that. But what happens is, when we get in situations where we're hurt, the way we react to that sometimes is we put up some armor. We put up a barrier around our heart. And we say, man, I've been hurt in the past. So the way I'm going to react to that is to put this barrier up so other people can't get in. And the problem with that is, is then when people even approach us wanting genuine relationship with us, they don't get in. And some of us do this to varying degrees. Some of us, it's very overt. and We know it. Some of us, we've selected different points where the barrier exists. And I bet if we just took a second, everyone was just like, oh, yeah, I, I'm not a defensive person relationship, but I have put up a shield right here. Not so much over here, but right here, there's definitely something going on where I've tried to block people out. And this is from Keep Your Love On. So I'm totally stealing this from Danny Silk. You're not a powerful person in relationships. You become one of three people. You can write this down. You become the victim, the bad guy, or the rescuer. If you're the victim, you're looking for a rescuer to make you feel safe and happy. If you're the bad guy, you're using control and, and intimidation to protect yourself or to get someone to meet your needs. If you're a rescuer, you're taking the responsibility for someone else's life and attempt to feel powerful. Powerless people will 
switch in and out of these roles in relational interactions. And I would have to say there's been different times in my life that I've been guilty of all of these. Some of us, these are things that we're guilty of maybe on a long-term scale. Sometimes some of these just pop up in certain instances. Like we become that, that what we call the bad guy. Where we try to intimidate people to get them to do what we want. And we think that's the powerful person in our culture. But I'm telling you, that's not what a powerful person does. Can I tell you, write this down, powerful people do not try to control other people. They know it doesn't work. It's not their job. You know what their job is? Control themselves. I really need you to get, when you wake up in the morning, to let your eyes pop open and you have to say, it's my job today to choose joy, to choose happiness. It's my job today to choose to be the person in the relationship that's going to give their part. And guess what? What you need to give is not 50%. What you need to give is the full 100. Regardless if the other person gives any or not. Remember, who's our example? Jesus. Guess what He gave? He gave 100%. He gave it all. He gave so much it killed Him. Husbands, get ready, because that's our example. To give all. Something I'd like you to do this week is, how many have ever heard of the five love languages? Basically, to be able to communicate with someone, you have to speak the same language. You have to speak their language. If there's no common language, you're not going to be able to understand them. What the five love languages does, is it takes love and it breaks it down into five languages. There's gifts, there's acts of service, quality time, there's physical touch, I think words of affirmation. So five areas. And basically what you can do is you can go online. If you just Google it, um, you can go online. You can take a test. It takes you like eight minutes, maybe ten. You can do it while you're in the bathroom, some of you, um, on your phone. You can just pull it up, take it real quick. But it, it helps you figure out what your love language is. Now, here's what you do with that information. You don't go, hey, everybody. Here's my love language. I need you to all start treating me accordingly. Like, I, I took mine again yesterday. I've taken it several times. I took it again yesterday. One of my big ones is words of affirmation. I like, I like people to tell me positive things. That's me. So it's not me going, all right, everybody, I'm words of affirmation. I'll, I'll stand here and wait. Go ahead. That's, that's not the point of it. Um, the point is to get the people in your relationships to take the test so you can figure out what language they speak. The point would be for me to have my sister take it so then I know how to communicate with her. Because it's not about me. Guys, the, the thing about all relationships is it's not about you. If you start with you, you're going you're gonna to be so messed up. And, and guys, the people I see that are the most miserable in life are the people that are most concerned with themselves. They never give. They never serve. They never do anything. They're always worried about how people are going to treat them, how life is going to affect them. But powerful people look for a way to affect other people. We want to be powerful people. And my challenge for you this week is to read that 1 Corinthians 13 every day. Every day. Make it, do it this way. If, if, you can do it now. It won't offend me. Make it the background of your phone. So when you pick it up, 
say, okay, I'm going to read this right now. It's right here. Read it every day this week because powerful people exhibit those traits. And so as I find out what my wife's love language is, then I start trying to do that to her. doesn't matter whether she tries to do mine or not. She doesn't wake up in the morning, dude, you're so awesome. You're amazing. Just throwing some things out there. That's the way I want to wake up. That's, that's not what it's about. It's about finding out what Canaan's is. So that Canaan's one of my students in one of my classes, two of my classes. So when Canaan's in my class, I can speak his love language to him. Now, I'm not going to call it speaking his love language to him because most of the kids in the class would be like, this is really creepy. Um, I'm just speaking his love language, especially if it's physical touch. It's not happening. Um, hey, Canaan, what's going on? Um, it's my nephew, by the way. Um, that that's not going to happen but we're not going to call it a love language when we're out in public we're just going to call it a way to interact in relationships so my goal is to find out what each one of you and, and as your pastor I, I'm curious to know what each one of you like so that I can start interacting with you in that way it's not about me it's about you if you're married it's about what's your spouse's so you can start talking to them that way if you have a best friend, find it out. If your best friend likes gifts, man, then you're starting to give him those gifts. That might cost me something. You know, it might. If you're lucky, some of the most important people in your life will have the same love language as you. Not everyone is, though. I've, it's very rare to get two people who are really close in a relationship that have the exact same love language. Here's what I have written. This came straight from Keep Your Love On. It says this. A powerful person's choice to love will stand no matter what the other person does or says. And that comes straight from Jesus Christ. Guys, so many of us, we've surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. Right? Remember the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? And that's something I was talking about with one of my friends this week, uh, David Brockman. We were talking... And he said, you know, Jesus can't just be our Savior. Jesus is our Savior, right? But in, in Acts, they didn't say, we need Jesus to be your Savior. They say, you know, this Jesus who you crucified, He's both Savior and Lord. That word Lord means your Master. That means what He says, you obey. And this is how we know what He says. So here's what happened. Jesus wants a relationship with us so much he demonstrated everything I'm talking about today. Besides taking the five love languages test, he didn't do that. But Jesus loves us so much that he gave his 100%. He chooses us every day. He died on a cross, rose from the dead to prove that he was God in the flesh. What we find out in 1 Corinthians is the 12 disciples saw him and 500 more. That's what it says in Corinthians. 500 more people saw him risen from the dead. And at the time that Paul was writing, he was saying, a lot of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. They'll tell you, yeah, I saw them. And what we know from history is a lot of them died. As Kayla and I were talking this week. She was trying to tell one of her friends about Jesus and they weren't so sure. Caleb's like, did people see Jesus alive? 
was like, yeah. And not only did they see him, they died for it. They were drugged into the public arena, into courts, in front of judges, and told, renounce Jesus or face death. And they said, I, I can't. I saw him alive. I cannot lie about that. And they were killed and martyred for this choice. Why? Because they loved Jesus. They chose Jesus. See, that's the thing. When you feel so chosen by God, all of a sudden you realize that you have a choice to make. Scripture tells us today, I sit before you, life and death, choose life. And so, here's the thing. You can't force someone to have a relationship with you. As much as you wish, maybe this person or this person or this person, it's especially tough when you're in high school. You're like, oh man, I really wish she would have a crush on me. You can't force someone to have a relationship with you. If you do, that's not a relationship. But it's the same thing with God. He's not going to force you to have a relationship with Him. He's not going to force you to choose Him. That's why He put that tree in the garden. For Adam and Eve, He said, hey, you can eat anything. Don't. Don't eat from this one tree. Why was the tree there? So they could choose God. Every day they woke up and didn't go eat from that tree, they were choosing God. Every day, wake up, oh, I can't go to that tree because God said not to, so I'm choosing God. Then one day they woke up and they're like, I'm going to choose something other than God today. Because if there's no choice, it's not a relationship. No one's choosing. There's not a relationship. So the thing is, is in your relationships, you have to choose. You have to choose. So if you have relationships that are not going so well, it's your choice. But let's talk about something even deeper as we go on this for a second is are you choosing God your relationships people who aren't Christians can still have good relationships we know a bunch that do what I'm going to say is people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God man all of our relationships should be powerful all of our relationships should be powerful doesn't mean we're not going to go through hard times in those relationships, but every relationship we come in contact to should be powerful. But it's only done through God's Spirit in us and through us. I'm going to say there's no like easy way to go through a difficult relationship with someone. But there is a way to have peace through it. And that's through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.